time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails. Because you're listening to Blazin' with Bobby Black on Cannabis Radio. What's up, everybody? This is Bobby Black welcoming you to another edition of Blazin', uh, brought to you by 420 Science. Um, we've got a lot of serious stuff to get to this week uh, with everything going on in Trumplandia and uh, the return to the old drug war mentality that we're hearing from the Jeff Sessions Justice Department. Uh, I'll be discussing all of this and more with my guest, who is the executive director of Pittsburgh Normal and a vocal Trump opponent, uh, Mr. Patrick Nightingale, uh, who will also be joining me for an extended edition of her new Trumpocalypse Now segment. All of that's going to be coming up real soon. But first, a quick recap of the week's top pot news headlines in the burndown. Burning through the smoke and mirrors of the news headlines. All right, we've got lots of cannabis news coming from back east, up in the northeast, uh, starting off in my former home state of New Jersey, where yesterday Democratic State Senator Nicholas Scutari announced legislation to legalize, regulate, and tax recreational marijuana in the Garden State. Uh, Of course, uh, Republican Governor Chris Christie is notoriously anti-marijuana, still clinging to the old gateway drug theory and accusing Democrats uh, in favor of the legislation of wanting to, quote, poison our kids, uh, even referring to the tax revenues that would be generated by the measure as, quote, blood money. However, Christie's term as governor, his final term as governor, is up in January. And so far, all five Democratic candidates running for the office are in favor of legalization, including the frontrunner, Phil Murphy. So this thing might just have a shot of passing, getting signed. Uh, If it is passed, New Jersey would become the ninth state to legalize recreational pot. I just got to say, it's crazy to me that five Democratic candidates are all in favor of legalization. I mean, I think it's great, but it's so such a departure from (laughs) the old days, uh, even just a few years ago, where the major parties were so scared of of even discussing legalization. It was such a third rail. I see so much progress being made. Also in New Jersey, uh, after being petitioned by medical marijuana advocates, the Medicinal Marijuana Review Panel voted to approve several uh, new conditions falling under the categories of chronic pain and anxiety for the state's limited list of qualifying conditions. The panel voted to add chronic pain-related uh, to muscular skeletal disorders, as well as irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety, and Tourette syndrome. Uh, they also voted against adding asthma and chronic fatigue. Currently, there are 11,700 uh, patients enrolled in the program, but until now, the state has only admitted uh, chronic pain patients with cancer or HIV AIDS. Now up to Vermont, where the legislature on Wednesday became the first in the country to vote to legalize the recreational use of marijuana. Though eight states and the District of Columbia have already legalized recreational use, those laws have all been passed by voter initiative. This was the first time that it's been passed via a state legislature. The bill, which would allow adults over 21 to possess and use up to one ounce and grow up to two mature plants 
as well as establish a nine-member commission to study the best way to tax and regulate it, has passed both the House and Senate. But it's unclear whether the Republican Governor Phil Scott will sign the bill, as it's been reported that he is not philosophically opposed to legalization, but must be sure the bill answers certain public safety and health questions. According to a poll conducted by Public Policy Polling, 57% of Vermont voters appear to be in favor of the policy. If the governor does sign it, Vermont would become the third East Coast state alongside Massachusetts and Maine to pass recreational uh, starting and it would start on July 1st of next year. Meanwhile, next door in New Hampshire, the state Senate voted last week 17 to 6 in favor of a measure to decriminalize cannabis possession. The bill would remove the threat of arrest and jail time for possession of up to three quarters of an ounce of cannabis. The House of Representatives, which passed the original version of the bill back in February, is expected to sign off on the revised bill, which will then head to Governor Chris Sununu's desk for signature. Under the New Hampshire measure, possession of up to three quarters of an ounce, I don't know why they wouldn't just make it an ounce <laughs> instead of three quarters, uh, would be punishable by a $100 fine for a first or second offense. Uh, it would go up to 300 for a third offense. And a fourth offense would be charged as a misdemeanor, but still without the uh, possibility of arrest or jail time. Currently, New Hampshire is the only New England state where an adult can still be arrested and face up to a year in jail and have a lifelong criminal record simply for possessing a personal amount of marijuana. Proponents have argued that law enforcement resources would be better spent addressing the ongoing opioid crisis, which has hit New Hampshire particularly hard as it has all of the New England uh, states. And now over to Massachusetts, where it's been uh, 185 days since voters approved the recreational use of marijuana there, but there are still areas of uncertainty, which many believe are due to the fact that the ballot measure that was passed was poorly worded. While adults can grow and smoke pot, they will not be able to legally buy it in a retail store until 2018. Uh, lawmakers have also delayed creating definitive regulations for edibles, uh, and they have yet to decide who will be in charge of overseeing the marijuana industry uh, in the state. Uh, back in January, Governor Baker said regulation the changes to the regulations would be made by April, but they still have not been made. And uh, the Committee on Marijuana Policy has now promised to complete alterations to the ballot law by June. Uh, despite all this, the lawmakers say they still intend to begin issuing the first retail licenses by July of next year. Uh, and now from New England to Old England where the Liberal Democrat Party are pledging to legalize cannabis in Britain. It's the first time a major political party in the country has adopted legalization in their official campaign platform. It's one of the most radical drug policy uh, proposals ever put out by a British political party. Uh, under the proposal, uh, the production and sale of marijuana would be fully legalized with quality control regulations uh, to prohibit uh, harmful chemicals. Uh, and sell to people under minors under 18. Uh, purchases would be allowed through licensed cannabis shops, similar to several states uh, in the United States. The party predicts that the decision could rate up to raise up to one billion pounds a year in tax revenues, while saving costs elsewhere by reducing the burden on police, prisons, and health services, um, as well as reducing the profits of the criminal gangs who currently run the black market. And finally, this week on the burn down, uh, something that sounds like it's out of a sci-fi story, but is actually the truth: uh, a grow facility in Desert Hot Springs, California, uh, owned by the cannabis brand Candescent who I've actually uh, written about in the past, uh, is currently testing uh, 
the possibility of using a robot to patrol its outdoor crops. Uh, hard, hard car security, which provides security services for the marijuana industry, claims that using the robots at night to patrol the inventory would save money uh, and also help uh, safeguard the safety of any possible security guards. Uh, the CEO of the hard car, uh, Todd Klepperis, says, at night, guards sleep, they play video games and spend time on social media. It's fraught with human never. Uh, plus, uh, they risk being shot by any potential thieves. Um, this is part of a growing trend of automation in the cannabis industry, including uh, automated seeding and automatic feeding of the plants that many uh, state-of-the-art facilities have adopted. Um, I can tell you that I actually toured that facility, the Desert Hot Springs facility that Candescent uh, owns. I, I was at their grand opening, and um, I can tell you that based on the sophistication um, uh, and how technologically advanced the the facilities were, I'm not terribly surprised that they're going in this direction. Still, it's pretty uh, it's pretty weird to think that uh, you would have uh, robots growing <laughs> and guarding cannabis uh, grow facilities. It's pretty it's pretty wild. Uh, crazy times we live in here. Crazy times. Um, and that's going to wrap it up for the burn down this week. Uh, and so we're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, we will be speaking with the director, uh, executive director of Normal in Pittsburgh, uh, Patrick Nightingale, who will be weighing in on uh, the state of uh, legalization in and, and medical cannabis in Pennsylvania, as well as uh, all of the stuff going on in the Trump administration and the Sessions Justice Department. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Blazin'. You're listening to Blazin' with Bobby Black on Cannabis Radio. This is Bobby Black, host of Blazin, here to talk to you about 420 Science. I've known Matt and Gary from 420 Science for over a decade. We've spent a lot of time together at the Cannabis Cups in Amsterdam, the Doobie Awards in their hometown of Austin. They were even at my wedding. And I've always admired their integrity and how they've built 420 Science from the ground up to become the most trusted online head shop. Visit 420science.com slash podcast for an exclusive deal on pipes and more from genuine people who put their customers first. That's 420science.com slash podcast. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. All right, guys, and we are back here on Blazin. Uh, my guest this week is one of Pennsylvania's most prominent cannabis activists, 
Uh, Patrick Nightingale is a former prosecutor and assistant district attorney. Uh, he now uh, r- runs his own criminal defense attorney firm, PKN Law. He's also the director of Pittsburgh Normal, a contributor to Ladybud Magazine, and a vocal opponent of Donald Trump. Patrick, welcome to Blazon. Thank you very much, Bobby. Thanks for having me on this afternoon. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, so I w- want to start off and get to know you a little bit, uh, let our, our listeners get to know a little about your background. Uh, did you are you from Pittsburgh originally? Did you grow up there? You know, I was born in Pittsburgh and I was adopted when I was uh, just a few months old. But my dad worked for Nationwide Insurance. So every time he got a promotion, he moved uh, to a different district. So though I was born in Pittsburgh, I didn't really return to the Pittsburgh area um, until college, but now uh, my wife Teresa and I—we have settled down here. We, you know, our children are Pittsburghers, so you know, here we are. And so, what? Tell us a little about your uh, education and what it is that made you want to get into law. You know, interestingly, you know, when I was young, when I was in high school, you know, people always told me, "Boy, you should be a lawyer. You can really debate. You know, you really love to argue." But I had my sights set on the music school, so I went to Berkeley College of Music thinking I was going to be, you know, some, you know, rock and roll star drummer. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> that didn't uh, necessarily work out. But uh, when I came back to Pittsburgh and went to the University of Pittsburgh, I became uh, interested in uh, pursuing a legal career. And it, you know, quite frankly, was very fortunate as I was wrapping up uh, law school that I had the opportunity to apply for and uh, was uh, hired by the Allegheny County District Attorney's Office. So my background, my professional background uh, immediately after law school was that I spent six years as a prosecutor here in Allegheny County, here in Pittsburgh. Uh, I did my best to avoid prosecuting people for uh, marijuana possessory uh, uh, cases, but I did a lot of uh, violent crime. I was one of the founders of the Domestic Violence Prosecution Unit. Uh, So that's kind of my background, you know, coming into the 1990s. And with that, there really wasn't much of a, there was no room for marijuana reform. And in, in fact, during that one of, you know, millions of Americans who, you know, kept my cannabis closet door locked, I can tell you that absolutely none of my colleagues in the district attorney's office ever had any idea that I was supportive of cannabis reform or a cannabis consumer. Wow. So, uh, well, I didn't, you know, that's interesting. I didn't know that you were uh, a, a, a drummer, uh, <laughs> I, not to get too far off topic, but I was intrigued by that. Um, what uh, did you do you in a band? Did you have a band name? What kind of music were you, were you playing? Well, right now, believe it or not, I'm playing in a band with a uh, police officer uh, and um, my legal assistant, and we call ourselves Suspicious Package. Uh, but I had never <laughs> received it. I'd never uh, risen to any level of uh, local recognition or local prominence or anything like that. Always just, you know, playing in the bars or the clubs uh, on the weekend. But it is something that I have always loved to do. And it is really a privilege to be able to continue to play music. And, you know, we're looking forward to getting out there and maybe playing at some normal events and, you know, combining uh, advocacy with my love for uh, performing. Cool. And so do you have like original songs or is it mostly covers or how do uh, we've got uh, some originals. Uh, our guitar player uh, is a uh, local personality known as Southside Vinny. He's a fantastic hard rock, heavy rock guitar player. So we've kind of developed the style that is like a 70s guitar rock uh, influence. Uh, uh, we just decided to cover War Pigs by uh, Black Sabbath because it seems a little uh, uh, appropriate uh, <laughs> at the time. And, you know, we're looking forward to getting into the studio and recording some of our originals. 
Awesome. So, cool. you know, rock stardom, you know, awaits momentarily, I'm sure. Well, yeah, let me <laughs> let me know when you have some uh, stuff. I'd love to hear, uh, you know, any, if you have any audio recordings or anything, I'd love to check it out. It's nice to uh, know that we share some some, you know, passions of cannabis and rock as well. Yeah, I mean it's it it goes nicely together. You know, there's nothing quite like uh, you know being able to get behind the kit uh, and relax and really enjoy and feel the music. So it's been, it's it's an excellent fit as long as I don't confuse myself and try to play you know too complex that uh, that I don't quite have down. <laughs> yeah. So so when did things uh, getting back to uh, of course your legal uh, career when when you said that uh, reform wasn't really possible when you were a prosecutor. So tell me when things started to change and when you when you transitioned out. Out of being a prosecutor. Yeah, I left the district attorney's office in uh, 2002. And quite frankly, the only reason I left the district attorney's office was financial. Uh, there simply was, you know, no room left to move in the office to, to earn raises, to continue to progress. So, you know, like so many of my other colleagues, we left, uh, moved from prosecution into doing defense work. Once I moved into defense work, uh, at least I thought, you know what, I'm going to reach out to normal and, and become part of the normal legal committee. There really didn't seem to be much of a normal presence in, in southwestern Pennsylvania. So that was my first foray into reaching out and becoming at least more active or more aware of what uh, normal was doing. But it wasn't until 2009 when uh, Pennsylvania marijuana bill was introduced by a Philadelphia area Democrat that I decided that you know now was a good time for me to, for lack of a better term, throw my hat into the ring. Uh, I'm self-employed, so there wasn't anyone that was going to fire me for you know publicly advocating for cannabis reform. And it was you know I thought with my background as a prosecutor, with my reputation in the Pittsburgh legal community, it was an opportunity to add that more professional voice or professional face to cannabis reform, which. You know, up until that point, at least here in Pennsylvania, was more associated with, um, uh, you know, playing Frisbee in the park or the Grateful Dead or, or hip hop culture and not something that was, you know, across the boards affecting everybody. Uh, and that's why I decided to add my voice at that time. Great. Uh, can you give us a quick little for those uh, listeners who aren't super familiar with Pennsylvania's law? Give us a quick primer on uh, the me uh, medical marijuana law in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, uh, in uh, May of 2016, enacted our medical cannabis law. Uh, it is a restrictive law that permits uh, the awarding of up to 25 grow processing licenses. Uh, if you are a grower in Pennsylvania, you're also expected to process uh, the flower material into medical products. And we have up to 50 dispensary licenses available in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Right now, about half of those licenses have been made available and uh, entities have applied for those licenses. And we expect to hear from the Department of Health at the end of June who is going to be running our grows and who's going to be opening up dispensaries. Our law provides for 17 qualifying conditions and Pennsylvania's law was actually the first that uh, included autism as one of the qualifying conditions. We also have PTSD, uh, sickle cell anemia, chronic neuropathic pain, seizure disorder, glaucoma, uh, gastrointestinal um, uh, issues, uh, and a couple of other qualifying conditions. Uh, it requires a patient to get a recommendation from a physician who is registered with the Department of Health. It does not permit smoking 
uh, of any medical marijuana product. And at present, it does not even permit the dispensing of flower material to a patient. Um, the physician registry has not yet been created. Patients are not yet able to go to their doctor and have a conversation about getting a medical cannabis recommendation, but we expect that that is going to be the next thing on the Department of Health's uh, plate to get up and running. Uh, we do not have home grow. We do not have a caregiver model like California or like Michigan. I would say that our model is uh, more closely aligned to New York or to Illinois. And there are some real concerns that even once licenses are awarded and uh, plants are being grown and products are on dispensary shelves, that uh, patients may not have access to products because they're too expensive, that physicians may not want to participate in the program because it requires a four-hour training course and registering with the Department of Health, uh, or that simply the cost of getting these uh, uh, grows up and running is going to be prohibitive to the point where patients are going to be expected to pay, you know, thousand, two thousand dollars a month for medication that is not covered by insurance. So there are a lot of questions uh, with our medical program moving forward. But if you know anything about Pennsylvania, the mere fact that we have a medical program with no THC caps or no strain restrictions is a minor miracle because we just <laughs> barely beat that back. Yeah. I know. I was when I was thinking of New York when you said that there were no flowers uh, allowed, and uh, you know, it 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 boggles my mind because uh, I'm I'm guessing they're allowing edibles and I guess concentrates probably. No, then, no edibles. So um, what are people allowed to are have specifically then? Specifically prohibited under the act unless a physician recommends to their patient that their patient incorporate their medical marijuana product into a food product. Believe it or not, that's what our law says. So what is allowed then? Uh, what what it permits form? oil, tincture, topical, or uh, uh, salve, pill form, and a form that is appropriate for vaporization or nebulization. And what that means is that's where they kind of left this back door open to adding flower material because flower is not specifically prohibited by the act. Uh, and since flour is a form that could be vaporized, we're expecting that uh, in May of 2018 uh, for our growers and our dispensaries to put a lot of pressure on the Department of Health to add flowers to what is, a, what is defined as a medical marijuana product. Oil is not defined beyond oil. So we don't know if that means merely viscous oil that you would uh, get into a pre-fill, if that also incorporates the full range of hash oil concentrates, but it is not otherwise restricted. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, our medical marijuana law would allow the production of very high THC hash oil concentrates to be sold and distributed in our dispensaries. That remains to be seen. Yeah, it boggles my mind that they're so f afraid of the flowers when that is the natural plant that grows out of the ground. I, I mean, it's probably the safest of, I would think, of, of any of them because when you're dealing with concentrated cannabis, you have a much higher potential for uh, overdose. And when I say overdose, obviously, I don't mean that, you know, death. I mean, just taking too much, you know, taking too much and maybe wigging out a little or something, you know. Uh, but with flowers, you really have little danger of that. There's really... It's one of the most safest plants. I mean, that would be like them saying, oh, you know, you can't buy fresh oregano in the supermarket. You can only buy oregano oil and add that to your tomato sauce. <laughs> it's so yeah, weird. That's exactly right. 
and I had the distinct privilege of testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee along with Irv Rosenfeld. And Irv brought his tin of 300 pre-rolled marijuana cigarettes, you know, provided to him by the United States of America, grown at, uh, at that uh, uh, place down at the University of Mississippi. He and I were sitting there and he was testifying to the Pennsylvania Senate about, you know, how smoked marijuana had provided him with relief for, you know, over three decades. And, you know, then we get this bill uh, that says, you know, no smoking, no flour. It's I don't know what happened behind the closed doors in Harrisburg, but I can tell you that a lot of horse trading went on and that uh, uh, our socially conservative uh, senators and House representatives certainly had to be pulled into this direction. And these are the type of compromises that we ended up with. I think that uh, part of it, and I'm, I'm, you know, let me know if you if you agree, is uh, that by allowing flour, by not allowing flowers and not allowing home grow, they forced the patients to buy a pharmaceuticalized version of it, and I feel like that's part of it. Like they don't want people, they want people spending money on products that are being produced by companies rather than just growing it themselves. Yeah, exactly. If this was truly about patients, then home grow is a no-brainer. I mean, as I uh, stated earlier, we don't have any medical insurance coverage for medical marijuana products. So how much can you realistically expect a patient to spend on a monthly basis? Um, or can we realistically expect a patient to add two, three, four hundred dollars a month to their monthly budget uh, when they could have just been growing this at home? Um, I mean, this is very Pennsylvania to overregulate, to overthink, to require licensing, and to take the most convoluted and difficult path forward. And it really is unfortunate. It does not, in my opinion, uh, benefit patients as much as it could. Uh, and it's just absurd to to make us jump through all these hoops when we see in other states the homegrown model very effectively delivering medicine to patients and not resulting in any you know gloom and doom. The sky is falling. Kids are getting marijuana and the black market is thriving, which are you know all the excuses that we heard from our legislators legislators for why they can't possibly consider home grow. But the answer is to put it in the the hands of you know, a handful of very well-funded, deep-pocketed entities who are expected to open 20,000-foot commercial grows and to provide marijuana at a, uh, at a competitive uh, price. I mean, it's really, we will see if this uh, works out. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I've, I've been supportive of uh, our legislative efforts throughout, even that uh, it is fraught with some uh, uh, difficulties and some provisions that simply aren't patient-friendly. we see. Well, it's nice to know that you're out there fighting, and I can see just by checking uh, up on your social media regularly that you're out there, you and Teresa. You mentioned your wife, Teresa, earlier. I should mention that uh, I knew Teresa before I knew you, actually. Uh, she was one of our Miss High Times finalists, Miss March 2013. Uh, tell us a little about how you met Teresa and how you guys got together. I mean, literally, it, it, it's straight out of central casting. She came to a Pittsburgh Normal meeting in January of 2012 because she was interested in, in getting involved. Um, in short order, she and I started talking, and then we, we hit it off, and, and here we are. Uh, literally, we started officially dating on 4-20-2012. <laughs> Um, we've been married for two and a half years, and what has been truly exciting is to to uh, 
to have someone who is also very passionate about cannabis reform and who comes at it from the perspective of a mother, comes at it from the perspective of a woman, uh, comes at it from the perspective of, you know, someone who, you know, really, you know, has a lot to lose uh, because she is a mother, because she has custody of, of her daughter. And I think that it has uh, enabled us to be a, an effective team in getting the word out uh, to as many people as possible and to change some of these stereotypes and some of these uh, um, uh and some of these negative stereotypes that continue to plague us, even though we're in 2017. Yeah, you know, and I see you guys posting photos uh, from protests and things that you're involved in. Tell us, uh, I know that you you guys had your first ever uh, pen, uh, medical cannabis convention and expo uh, 20 weekend what? in Pennsylvania. Tell us about some of the, what that was like and tell us about some of the other protests and events that you guys have been a part of. You know, the, the World Medical Cannabis Conference uh, that uh, took place here in Pittsburgh a few weeks ago, I mean, it was truly exciting. It was... It wasn't quite what you're seeing at a High Times Medical Cannabis Cup or something, but for Pittsburgh and for Pennsylvania, it was really, you know, seeing the possibility of the emerging cannabis industry and the emerging cannabis marketplace right here in the Steel City. And I could not have been uh, more excited to participate in that. I had the opportunity to uh, moderate a couple of panels. Uh, we had um, uh, local uh, news radio broadcasting from the convention. And given the fact that our medical marijuana law isn't yet uh, fully effective and that we don't have patients and that we don't have medical marijuana products, I was you know, absolutely thrilled that over 3,000 people came out uh, over the weekend and you know, took a look at uh, the summit and, and participated in the conference. A couple of days before that, on April 18th, we had the largest ever uh, marijuana uh, reform rally in Harrisburg. There's a, another activist from the eastern part of the state uh, by the name of Les Stark. Uh, he and his fiance Erica run Keystone Cannabis Coalition, and they, along with Philly Normal, Pittsburgh Normal, Pennsylvanians for Safe Access, uh, we have really uh, created a statewide grassroots movement. I mean, if you know anything about Pennsylvania, we are a very large state, and Pittsburgh is as far from Philadelphia as it is from New York City almost. So wow. it's very difficult to have a full statewide uh, uh, in impact or statewide reach. And on April 18th, we had Pennsylvanians from every corner of Pennsylvania, activists from across Pennsylvania, uh, getting together in Harrisburg and making our voice, uh, our voice heard. And what's exciting about that is right now we do have a statewide decriminalization bill that is moving through the Pennsylvania legislature that has a Republican sponsor and considerable bipartisan support. Wow, Here fantastic. in Pennsylvania, if the Republicans don't want it, it ain't happening. So to have you know a Republican sponsor and bipartisan support is critical to moving this legislation forward. Wow, that's exciting to hear. Um, so uh, we're gonna we should talk a little about uh, uh, Jeff Sessions and all that stuff and Trump and everything that's been go a lot been going on with Trump in the past week or so. Um, oh, we're gonna get to all that in a few minutes. Uh, uh, first, we're gonna take a quick break, but uh, don't go anywhere because we'll be right back with more from Patrick Nightingale here on Blazin. You're listening to Blazin with Bobby Black on Cannabis Radio. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. 
For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like God Bud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local, state, and national laws before ordering. Equio, New Frontier's cutting-edge big data platform, puts the information and answers you need right at your fingertips in real time to help you more effectively run your cannabis business. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. Again, that's www.equio.io. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Blazing with Bobby Black. Okay, and we are back here on Blazing. Uh, my guest this week is the uh, executive director of Pittsburgh Normal, uh, Patrick Nightingale. Uh, and uh, Patrick, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this week, uh, aside from just getting uh, hearing what's been going on in Pennsylvania, is uh, you've been, uh, I've noticed online, you've been one of the uh, very vocal opponent uh, of, of some of the things Trump has been doing. And uh, we have a new segment here on Blazin uh, called Trumpocalypse Now. And I wanted to have you on to be uh, to talk Trump with you. So um, we're going to get into that right now. Here it is. Trumpocalypse Now. To ensure the security and continuing stability. I would say definitely nuclear weapons. And the drugs. I love the smell of makeup in the morning. This American carnage stops right here. And you must make a friend And stops right now. For a safe and secure society. 
This is how liberty dies. With thunderous applause. Thank you. We love you. Thank you very much. All right, so Trumpocalypse Now. Yes, uh, there's been a lot going on with uh, with our idiot-in-chief this uh, week. Um, so the biggest news, of course, is the firing of James Comey, the FBI director, uh, mere days after he came out and said, testified under oath in a hearing that he was uh, leading an investigation into Trump's administration with Russia. Uh what is your uh, just just right off the bat? What is your take on that whole situation? It, it it didn't surprise me at all that Trump decided to fire Director Comey. It did surprise me that he waited this long to do it. Uh, but what surprised me the most of all of this was how Trump immediately threw his own administration under the under the bus, threw Mike Pence under the bus. Through you know, bushy Sean Spicer under the bus and said, oh, no, I had always been thinking about this. I didn't care what uh, uh, the attorney general or the deputy attorney general recommended. I was going to fire him anyway because he was wasting so much time on this uh, Russia investigation, which we all know is just a lame excuse uh, by the Democrats uh, for losing the election. Hey, and he said that on national TV in an interview with Lester Holt. I was utterly stunned. I mean, I thought that the nation came out with, you know, was at least it made sense. Hey, Flimsy. you know, it's time Flimsy. to let Director Comey go. He handled the Hillary thing poorly. He's lost uh, the trust of the administration. See ya. All right, guys, run with that. But then, <laughs> you know, like you said, the idiot in chief himself comes out and says, no, 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 that that's not true. I was going to fire him anyway. And then to add an intimidation of witness and potential illegal wiretapping to it, is 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 stunning literally stunning how just how uh do you come out and say you better you know keep your story straight you know you wouldn't want to have been recorded recorded what is going on with this i mean literally i have had clients prosecuted and convicted of intimidation of witnesses for less than what trump did right and uh, unbelievable and you know he he makes things so much harder for himself that's how i know he's because you know, some people were saying is he is he really dumb and an idiot or is he pretending to be to divert people and you know so he can really get his agenda through i i really think just think he's he doesn't know what the hell he's doing because he he digs his own grave deeper and deeper with every move he makes with the with the tweets and with the testimony i mean did he basically admit to obstruction of justice in that interview with lester holt it seems like he did yeah, that, that's that's the, the conclusion that I would take from it. But yet uh, the Trump supporters and, and the Republican Party in general just uh, seems to say something to see here. Move along, move along. Uh, it, I swear to God, it might be that he has simply adopted the role of distractor in chief. You know, he's saying to his administration and to the Republican leaders, don't worry, guys, what you need to do. I'll just tweet something ridiculous and everyone's going to focus on that and no one's going to realize all this underhanded stuff that's uh, that's being done via executive order behind the scenes. Yeah, it's a it's crazy because not only Comey, first he fired, of course, Sally Yates, who was also involved in the investigation. 
uh, the Russia investigation. He also fired Preet Bharara, the U.S. attorney in New York, who was not only investigating his secretary of health and human services, Tom Price, for some shady dealings he was doing, but he was also investigating corrupt, you know, corrupt Russian business practices that that once again, Trump's administration may have been involved with. Of course, they didn't release any of that information yet. But at some point, all this information that they keep saying in this testimony, we can't discuss it because it's classified and it's an ongoing investigation. At some point, whatever they have, whatever smoking guns they have is going to become public. And when that does, it, Trump's going down. I'm convinced he he is so I mean, Aside from the obstruction of justice, aside from the uh, the intimidation you mentioned, look at the look at the emolument situation, look, the, the conflicts of interest. I mean, he is just in flagrant violation of the Constitution left and right. And the Republican establishment seems to not even I mean, other than, let's say, John McCain and possibly Lindsey Graham, who I never thought I would say this, but <laughs> I, I'm cheering them on. I think they're heroes <laughs> because they're the only ones that are willing to call this guy out. And I just feel like at some point. Uh, and maybe it's because they're waiting to get some, some more of their uh, legislative agenda pushed through. But at some point, the Republicans are going to turn on Trump and they're going to throw him under the bus. I mean, th I would imagine that they would be much happier with a President Pence than a President President Trump. Oh, w without a doubt. I think that uh, uh, Mike Pence uh, would be much more palatable to the Republican establishment. But one thing to remember about Trump is he still is extremely popular with his supporters. Uh, and it's something that I think the, the Republicans take note of. They, they can't, you know, turn on the guy who still is very popular amongst the Republican uh, electorate. And, you know, why that continues to be the case, I don't know. I'm beginning to 100% agree with Trump when he said, you know, I could shoot somebody in the middle of New York City and my uh, popularity wouldn't, you know, drop by a percentage point. Uh, I don't know what this man could possibly do that would cause his passionate supporters to start to rethink this. Um, and it's one thing after another, after another, after another. And I think as far as the Republican establishment is concerned, they've made their deal with the devil and they're sticking with it. And it's like, we've, we've enabled this. Now we're going to do as much as we can with this guy in power. And quite frankly, I don't expect them to turn on him. I expect them to start, you know, trying to set him up for a return to power in 2020 so that they've got eight years of legislative majorities to ram uh, to ram everything through. Hopefully the midterm elections uh, will bring back uh, um, a Democrat majority, at least in the House, so we can balance this uh, Trump agenda out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I hope and pray for that. And, and I think it's very likely, um, you know, just historically speaking that, you know, uh, that it, it could happen and with what he's doing. I mean, I think that the health care issue might be one of the things that turns his own supporters against him, because it seems to me that like, you know, I understand the cult of personality. I don't I would never you know, I can understand why certain people might be attracted to his methodology. Uh, but um, the fact that he hasn't really done a single thing to help those people that he, you know, that the populist uh, movement that brought him into power, he hasn't done anything to help them. He's only done things to help the rich again, like most Republicans. And but the health care thing maybe might when people start losing their health care, people that voted for Trump start seeing that maybe that would be a wake up call. I don't know. I mean, until it affects them personally, they're not going to turn on him. And and, and I 
I don't even think they're going to turn on at, at that point. You know, there is this uh, what we've seen play out in this election uh, and other elections, but especially in this one, the concept of voting against your self-interests. And I don't understand how, for example, a rank and file union member thinks that voting for Trump is going to be in his or her best interest because it, uh, the GOP is a union busting uh, party. You know, Scott Walker is very popular in, in the GOP and he's a union buster. So, how, you know, in, in what logic does a uh, rank and file steel worker or a rank and file auto worker vote for the guy uh, who comes from the party that is openly hostile to organized labor? I don't know. I don't understand. But uh, when I when I drive around in Pennsylvania and I see people with giant Confederate flags on their uh, pickup trucks, uh, I can only come to the conclusion that. Nobody cares. They simply want the the a white somebody guy. in there who's going to yell, you know, liberals are are you know, liberals are assholes, and I'm going to kick their arm or whatever. You know, they don't care about policy. They just want to hear someone yelling that you know Hillary is a crook and Obama was uh, was corrupt. Yeah, Fine. and they don't. We'll keep reelecting you. Yeah, they don't want a black guy or a woman. <laughs> you know, that's what it seems like. I mean, and also this conservative Christians. I mean, you're supposed to be this moral Christian people. You you vote for a guy who who's been divorced a bunch of times, cheated on his wife. Uh, you know, his wife's been has naked photos of her. Not that I have any problem. I don't really have a problem with someone posing naked, but they do. You know, theoretically, and you know, just all these things that like. He's so far. He's the complete opposite of what a conservative Christian should want, and yet they turned out for him in droves. Yeah, they don't care. You know, Trump is merely a figurehead of 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 you know destroying the liberal political correctness, or you know, telling me you know, rubbing all of our noses in it. They don't care. I cannot. You know, one of these days, you know, these conservative Christian leaders will go meet their maker. And I can guarantee you when they go there, you know, God is going to be sitting or St. Peter at the pearly gates and they're going to say, you realize Trump was a piece of shit and he was not a Christian. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we realize, but we thought that the political gains were worth it. And then, you know, they can figure out where you go from there. Yeah. So of all the obviously almost all of Trump's appointments uh, have been disasters. Uh, Michael Flynn, we won't even get into that because it'll take too, <laughs> too long to go into all of it. But basically everyone he's appointed has had a Russia connection. Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort, Carter Page, Rex Tillerson, they're all connected to Russia. But of all the of all the appointments, uh, you know, sessions is the one that, you know, I think affects us probably personally the most. And is, you know, obviously there was a lot of opposition to him because of his history with uh, racial justice uh, being on the wrong side of history for so many uh, years on all these all those things. But now, uh, you know, he's already talking about bringing back the old drug war mentality of mandatory minimums and getting tough on drug dealers. And, you know, he's been notoriously anti-cannabis sessions. Um, and Trump, uh, you know, in the past hasn't been so anti-cannabis in his public statements. But since he's become president, it sure seems like He's not, you know, he's changed his tune like so many other things. So, uh, Patrick, what do you what is your take on the sessions memo and uh, what what the future of legalization is now that Trump is president and sessions is the attorney general? Um, the sessions memo, I am concerned, will result in more true uh, low level conspirators being brought into these massive federal indictments. I'm concerned that the Sessions memo is going to result in uh, a more aggressive charging policy where 
uh, the federal government or uh, prosecutors immediately start off with what's called a Rule 851 notice. And that means that if you've got a prior possession with intent or felony drug conviction that you could face uh, double uh, your mandatory minimum or potentially life incarceration, I am concerned that uh, what limited plea bargaining uh, federal uh, prosecutors are entitled to or enabled to engage in right now will be even further restricted. Uh, there's this concept of you know proving the most serious uh, readily provable offense which means that if a prosecutor wanted to, he could not bargain away uh, the drug conspiracy charge in exchange for the gun charge or something like that. And I just don't really think that um, coming from Washington, they have the ability to tell prosecutors in Pittsburgh or in Los Angeles or in Oregon or wherever what the best way to approach the issues in their community are. For example, I have a woman right now who's charged with felony conspiracy to distribute uh, oxycodone because on one occasion she gave a ride to another person who was uh, selling their prescription. No reason for this woman to have suspected that their prescription was being sold, but she gets dragged into this federal indictment and risks federal prison because she gave a ride to somebody who was selling her scripts. Uh, it, at some point in time, we've got to ask ourselves, is heavy-handed federal prosecution the best way to address our, uh, our opiate addiction or uh, our desire to use controlled substances, whether we're addicted to it or doing so recreationally? Because I have not seen in my you know, 12 years of doing federal criminal defense uh, practice any effect whatsoever on the cost of either cocaine or heroin here in Pittsburgh. In fact, in Pittsburgh, right now, we can get uh, $6 stamps of pure fentanyl. $6 stamp bags of pure fentanyl. A stamp bag of fentanyl is cheaper than a cocktail in the city of Pittsburgh. Oh. And Jeff Sessions wants me to believe that if we merely lock more people in cages, that's going to change. It's insane. We have already gone down this road. We, we have 45 years worth of this failed drug war to look at to say we cannot incarcerate our way out of an addiction problem. It doesn't work that way. We tried it with alcohol prohibition. It was a miserable failure. We've tried it with 45 years worth of drug prohibition, and we have the world's largest prison population. It is uh, we are killing ourselves and doubling down on this, as Jeff Sessions has just done, is the worst possible approach. And I think it's miracle, merely going to result in increasing the federal prison population. But wait a minute. Don't worry about that, taxpayer, because we've got private corporations that are <laughs> uh, going to be more than happy to make millions and millions of dollars locking people up like uh, Corrections Corporation of America which is now rebranded as core civic or whatever the hell it is, you know, locking people in cages for profit um, with Jeff Sessions at the helm. Fantastic. Is that what we want in America in 2017? Yeah. And, and they're, they're still in that whole, uh, you know, gateway prohibition mentality, but the, the landscape has changed so much since the mandatory minimums were first introduced back in the day. And I have a feeling that they're not going to take quite as well as they did back then. Um, and how do you think that this, uh, we're running out of time, but I want to wrap up real quick. How, how do you think this will affect the, the cannabis industry? That's, uh, the burgeoning cannabis industry. Do you think that they're going to go after companies or you think that they're going to let that, let that continue to develop? 
I am I am very, very concerned for the legal recreational cannabis marketplace. I don't think that they will go after uh, companies in medical states only, but I think that uh, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, now California, I think that any state that has legalized uh, that uh, you stand a very, very serious risk of receiving uh, those uh, famous uh, Department of Justice uh, shutdown notices as the first shot across the bow. I do not believe that sessions will allow the uh, emerging uh, marijuana industry uh, to continue without interference, uh, but uh, I think that it would necessarily require um, uh, Trump himself saying, back off. Now, I've talked to lobbyists who are Republicans, who are Trump supporters, and they guarantee me that Trump is a businessman and that Trump will not allow this uh, uh, this marketplace to be crushed by Sessions um, and that he understands. However, he still put Sessions in there. Sessions is still saying what he is saying. So I, I, I hate to say it this way, but I have honestly no faith in President Trump uh, being the hero of the uh, emerging marijuana industry. I have no faith in President Trump in any regard whatsoever, <laughs> except to what except I don't even have he doesn't even have self-preservation instincts that are that are that you can rely on. He doesn't know what he's doing. I'm just oh, glad man. he left his poor wife alone on Mother's Day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, all right. It looks like we're running out of time. So uh, I just want to say uh, before we go, let everybody know uh, where they can find you online and how they can get involved in, in Pennsylvania specifically if they're interested. Um, you can go to pittsburghnormal.org. That's normal, N-O-R-M-L. Uh, I am at uh, patricknightingale.com. That's uh, N-I-G-H-T-I-N-G-A-L-E. Also, Keystone Cannabis Coalition and the Pennsylvania Medical Cannabis Society are some excellent resources. Great. So uh, you hear that, guys? If you're out there and you're in Pennsylvania and you need some uh, represent representation for a cannabis case, he Patrick is your man. Uh, Patrick, thanks so much for joining us to discuss uh, the political implications of what's been going on. I hope you'll, uh, when more more crazy stuff goes down, I hope you'll come back and, and we can chat some more about, about how things develop. Absolutely. And please tell your lovely wife that Teresa and I say hi. I will do that. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Patrick. Take care. All right. You take care. All right. And that's going to be it for this episode of Blazin. Thanks to you all for tuning in and talking up with us again. Thanks to our sponsors, 420 Science. Uh, and thanks to our guest, Patrick Nightingale, for coming on and helping us make sense of the insanity going on in the Trump administration. Um, you can find links to all of uh, Patrick's organizations and efforts on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Black. Uh, be sure to uh, follow me on social media, Facebook and Instagram, Bobby Black 420 and Twitter at Bobby Black. Um, and while you're on our Facebook page, please leave us some feedback. Let us know who you'd like to see as a guest on the show. Uh, give us a like and uh, check out some of our previous episodes as well. Um, you can also uh, there's also a link on there to my new YouTube channel, which I would love if all of you guys would subscribe to. And uh, that's going to be it for this week. Uh, thanks again for listening. This is Bobby Black saying blaze on and peace off. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.